Today my guest is Bobby Lavignere. Bobby and his twin brother Steve were regulars on KISS FM and brought house music to the UK. Following a devastating situation, Steve has been in a coma for nearly two years. I remember walking into a local hospital, Whitcross Hospital in East London, and seeing the signs, and that's it. And then I was told it was five hours later when they, the doctor said to me that we need to put you into a coma. And I said, just do what you've got to do. I had no fear. Bobby, thank you so much for being a guest in my home. It's lovely to have you here on this rather hot day. <laughs> it is very warm, especially in the studio warm. lights. But yeah, but thanks for having me. Bobby, when I heard um, your story about your twin, Steve, I knew I had to get you on and wanted to talk to you about that. Mm -hmm. But before we get into that, can you tell me a little bit about your background and your amazing journey in the music industry? Yeah, so uh, a short story is that we, uh, we're from East London, Forest Gate in East London. Um, always had, we've got older siblings, so we've always been involved or heard, you know, uh, in, in, in music. No musician, but there's always music played in the house, soul, uh, disco, reggae. This is back in the 70s, right? Because we was born in 63. And um, we started going out. We left school uh, in 1980 when we were 16 years old. And then... We was going to, before we left school, we was going to a few clubs at a young age. And then we left school. I was working for, I got a job with British Gas as a gas engineer. And Steve was in retail. Yeah. And um, our local pub, because we was now going out every Friday, every Saturday. So our local pub in East London called Simpsons um, got refurbished. And we was, that was, we was there all the time. So we said to the manager, we're at, we're at the bar on a Friday night having pre-drinks before we went to this club, Bentley's in Forest Gate in um, Canning Town. And we said to him, Jim, you've got this beautiful place here. It's been a month now. You need to get a DJ in there. You know, you're wasting the spot. And he knew we was into music. He looked at us. He goes, why don't you guys do it? And we looked at each other. And we just said, all right. <laughs> just like that. Seven days later, um, on the Saturday, this was on Friday night, Saturday, we, we got some A4, an A4 paper and um, we just wrote it out got six little flyer things and cut it all up, photocopied it all and gave it out in the area because we knew a lot of people in Forest Gate and stuff. And gave, him, gave it all out. So seven days later, we had the night, we called it Zoo Soul Beat. Um, and it was packed, 250 people. So that night we became DJs and promoters without having any plan really. We hired a DJ console because we was working. So it wasn't a monetary thing where, oh, we could make money. It was all for the love of music. Never DJed before, never promoted. And that was 1984, and we haven't stopped since. And that's what, I can't do the maths on that. Was that, was that about 37 years? Yeah, yeah, around right about that, yeah. So, yeah, and we haven't stopped promoting and, and doing stuff. Yeah, the night we got on Kiss FM, um, after six months of doing that, Gordon Mack from Kiss FM came down to see what was going, all these, what everyone was making all these noise about, <laughs> met us, and um, Kiss FM was pirates then, and then we got onto Kiss FM uh, radio show, which we loved. Just, it just took to it instantly, do you know what I mean? Um, the presenting and stuff. And the journey's just continued from there. We've, you know, we're worldwide travellers on the DJ scene and... Uh, and you were quite instrumental in bringing house over, as I understand it, to the UK. Yeah, we was one of, one of the people, we're not saying, we're one of the pioneers, 100%. Because in 1987, a good friend of ours, Norman Jay, MBE, he, um, he was playing at uh, the New York Music Festival conference. In 1987, so he said he wanted, you know, he doesn't mind about 30 people coming over with him. That's a power and way and stuff. 
And um, we went there and house music started in Chicago, but house music in New York was from the Paradise Garage, the legendary, legendary club called the Paradise Garage, which was um, the DJ there was Larry Levan, who's, who's now passed. And um, Norman said, yeah, we're going to go to Paradise Garage on Saturday night or Friday night. Never heard of it. Never heard of Larry Levan, right? And we was into the rear groove stage then, right? All the old stuff that was coming back out again, the old soul and everything else. So he went to the Paradise Garage, but let me go back a bit. But in, we, in 78, 79, me and Steve was heavily into disco. We were like two, we was like two little disco queens. Right? We loved it. <laughs> I can see and that's, it. Honestly, we were like into the disco music. And we went to the Paradise Garage and was like, wow, 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 wow. After the Paradise Garage, people would go to, when the club finished, people would walk around the shop called Vinylmania to buy a rec record shop, buy records. So we followed the crowd and that's where we bought our first house records, brought it back to London. And that's when we started DJing and, and mixing it up with our soul sets. People weren't dancing in the beginning to it, but we just kept on it and kept on it. And that was it. And we, yeah, and then 1991, 1991, when we done our first um, uh, full house club called Garage City. Um, hmm. That's when it was launched at Duke Street, side of Selfridges, and that was a big legendary club to this day, Garage City, yeah. And as I understand it, you were like, I mean, I don't know if double act is the right word, but it was the Bobby and Steve. Hmm. Yeah. So not only were you twins, but you worked together as well. Yeah. How was your relationship with your brother? We come from a loving family and there's eight siblings, right? Um, our whole family has been built on a foundation of love. It was instilled with us from a young, young age. Do you know what I mean? We're very religious people as well. Um, but the love thing was, you know, just just, just give, um, you know, not give to receive, but just be giving people for me. And that's just always been in me and Steve's head. And as you get older, you realise, well, the laws of attraction and everything else, the more you give, the more you receive. But we've been doing that along the way. Me and Steve would argue, we'd have the worst. We had a few fights when we were younger, but not for physical fights, but nothing like, and we'd just make up straight away afterwards. Like even now, pre-COVID, I mean, you know, I can be, we can both be, is that the right word to say, little bitches, right? <laughs> we can both, and you know, we have our ways. And even when we'd fly together or go to a gig, an international gig, we'd be sitting next to the plane. He, there's things he, he would annoy me and vice versa. We're like two little old women. But we would always make up straight after. Do you know what I mean? Always just, our relationship was, was beautiful and amazing. Um, still is. He's beautiful and amazing, and um, yeah, it's just an understanding of each other, which I think is important in any relationship. Mm, definitely. Mm. So, let me get to the point when you both contracted COVID. Tell mm -hmm. me about that, what happened. Well, we went to a gig in Madrid. It was playing in Madrid on the 7th of March, 2020. So this was right at the beginning of the yeah, pandemic. Yeah, yeah. So it this hadn't really been announced. March this is March, the 7th of March, 2020. There was no lockdown here. Everything was happening in Wuhan, right? But as I say again, it's just the human nature. It's not on our doorstep. It's not, you know, it's right over the other side, even though all these casualties and fatalities was happening. You sort of go, okay, because you don't think it's going to come over here. So there was no lockdown. So even when we went to Madrid, we went out for dinner with the promoter, who's a friend of ours and his wife and friends. She's The, the wife's promoter just came... The promoter's wife just came back from Italy and she was saying about the Italians, we're talking about COVID. Yeah, I think they might start locking down there. But everyone's free and doing their thing. Went to the club. Club was about 
300 capacity, not a big club, but it was packed. Low ceiling, it was very hot. And um, after we played, um, there was a room at the back and we went to the back room, just behind the DJ booth, and it was only promoters' friends were in there. And I just thought, this is too hot and too, everyone was close to each other. And a few people was, was, was you know, you had to start too close, or, you know, you're spraying on me. In my face. Right? And that was that. All, all, nothing, no, no badness, but it was just like that. Me said, so let's, let's get out of here. Let's go back to the DJ booth. And I'm only mentioning that because I'm thinking how we contracted it. So this was on a Saturday. On the Sunday, we flew home. Um, I was about five, six of us that went. My daughter, my youngest daughter went. Steve's youngest daughter came and a couple of friends. So Steve flew back on, flew back on separate planes. So it was on the Monday. Um, on the Monday, we had a business conference call. We're all at separate houses. And I'm chatting. Uh, I was talking. I'm just talking at this. And then... Uh, and then I just lost my breath like that for about however long for about now. And I thought, what happened there? But then I'm back, I'm okay. 10 minutes later, Steve's doing the same thing. Both of you phone. losing your breath. He's doing the same thing within the hour, about three times each. So then we thought, afterwards I'd call him, I said, I think we might have caught something because it's just what happened. But again, didn't know severity or nothing anyway. Then it was seven days if you had any symptoms, staying for seven days or whatever. So the next weekend, following Saturday the 15th, I think we had a gig in Manchester. Um, my temperature went up a little bit, but we was fine, you know? Was, yeah. Everything was good. Yeah. I spoke to 111, they said, well, if your temperature's just up a little bit and you feel okay, you're all right to go. Went to Manchester, done the gig, just about. I, and I got really bad before I went to play. I just thought something's not right, I got really sick. Felt sick. Got back on the sun on the Sunday. We got back on the train. I was just out of it on the train all the way. Got home, went straight to my bed. So the Sunday um, to the following Thursday night, Friday morning, five o'clock. I was in my bed all the time. Right, got up to go to the toilet. Temperature went up to thirty nine degrees, and da, 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 I just can't remember anything. Um, my wife said that my breathing was just ridiculous, but they were saying to you, stay at home, stay at home, stay at home. Don't come unless you need to come. And then, anyway, my wife was sleeping upstairs in the loft because of my temperature. She, and then I, she showed me a text afterwards when I got discharged. And I messaged her and said, I need to go to hospital. I can't remember doing that. I said, I can't So breathe. you wrote that to your wife? I can't even remember that. She showed me in a text, yeah. yeah. At, at half four in the morning, I wrote that on Friday the 20th uh, of March. Anyway, she took me to the hospital. I remember walking into a local hospital, Whips Cross Hospital in East London, and seeing the signs, and that's it. And then... I was told it was five hours later when they, a doctor said to me that we need to put you into a coma. And I said, just do what you've got to do. I had no fear, right? Because I didn't know how about, you know, you're not thinking about what we had, you're not thinking about it. I just had no fear. I said, just do what you've got to do. I wasn't scared or nothing. And you didn't, did they explain why they had to put you in a coma? Well, they said because you're breathing that, but my, I was, my temperature was high. I wasn't, you know, it was like, I was high. <laughs> I was high. I, I couldn't really, you know, besides him saying, do me the coma, and I responded, and I remember saying to him, just do what you got to do. But he, he most of the would have said stuff to me, yeah, but it, it didn't register. And that was that. So, and then I woke up seven days later. And like I said, I was in East London, Whips Cross. I woke up seven days later, and I was in um, Bart's Hospital, St Paul's. Uh, and then, because they moved me, they said I needed more room at the local hospital, because more patients were coming in with COVID. And even though I was in a coma... I was the strongest candidate to be moved. So they moved me, and, and that was it. I was in a coma for seven days, uh, and then I was in hospital for 14. Two days before, so the 27th, 
29th it was. 29th, when I was in my ward, I got my phone, it was allowed my phone now, my wife was on the phone, wife, she goes, oh, by the way, Steve's wife, Julie, has just called and she said that she's taking, taking Steve to the hospital. And straight away, I'm my only reference because I don't know anything was happening. I went in on the 20th, the 23rd was when lockdown happened in the UK. So people obviously losing lives now and that. But I'm in a coma, I don't know nothing. So as yes. I'm, all I'm saying to, to my wife was, it's fine, he'll be out in two weeks because um, I'm, you're okay. I'm the reference, I'm good and that's it. So that was that. I got discharged um, and then Steve was still in a week later, not out of the coma. Haven't taken him out of the coma two weeks later. I think they tried a couple of times, not think, they did try a couple of times. And they said when I was taking him out of the coma, he was um, biting the tube that goes down. So he said he was a bit stressed, so they had to put him back in, give him more um, station or whatever. Um, so three and a half weeks later is when they took Steve out of the coma. Um, out of the induced coma and like myself I remember them saying to me when open your eyes open your eyes it was like looking into a bright light but there wasn't a bright this is how it was put your face right into that light and that's the vision what I was getting and then I could slowly see a finger so uh, after about they said it was about two hours I asked him after then I, I was I was tracking following yes. the finger yeah and then they said squeeze the finger and I'd done that after a while Steve wasn't doing that so they said, it's okay, we'll do it tomorrow. We'll figure they'll do the MRI scan. Because I presume these are all signs that your brain's reacting in the yeah, way it's meant to react. that's the first test that yeah. I'm, I know from what happened to me that they do for you when they're taking you out of, uh, you know. Um, so that's what they did. And then they said, oh, well, he hasn't done it yet. Maybe he's still a bit sedated. So then the next day they'd done it and his eyes were fully opened, but nothing. He wasn't moving, he's not following nothing. He's not squeezing nothing. Um, so that led them to do an MRI scan and a CT scan, and it showed that Steve had been um, diagnosed with acute hemorrhagic leukoencephalitis, which is one of the worst brain injuries you can. It's one of the worst get. brain and rare, very very rare. Forget about COVID, just just by catching it. So I mean, there, there has been a lot of press coverage over this, and what they're saying is Steve is the longest person that's been in in a, in a coma because of COVID. Mm -hmm. Is there a how is there a relation between COVID and this brain, this rare brain disease? Um, well, to be quite honest with you, um, it hasn't really been on paper. He got this because of this, because of this. The doctors and consultants were baffled and still are because it's so, because acute hemorrhagic leukoencephalitis. I've joined the encephalitis society in York, and when I told them about the diagnosis, they said, "I said, please don't use that word rare because I'm fellow with it." before he could answer. And he said, it's not rare, it's very, very rare. So, and even the consultants, they don't know how. How and why. We've done a bit of research. I think we've, uh, Julie, Steve's wife, have found one other person that's got it from COVID, um, which is based in China, but in China he was, but we, there's been, no, we have no reply from that yet. So we've been doing our own research on that. The consult, there's nothing, the, the doctors here haven't said this because of that, because of that, no. There's nothing. It's, it's so rare. They was asking questions, did he have it before? <laughs> no, he walked into the hospital. They said, okay. And I said he was sitting down for 45 minutes. So straight as I said that, because once you have that, you won't be able to function anyway. So they, COVID, um, ventilator. So, so what, because, you know, we're, 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 you, you guys, are you're twins. You've done yeah. everything together in your life. Mm -hmm. um, 
in, in terms of how you live your life, mm-hmm. in terms of your lifestyle, what you eat, you exercise, yeah. how is that compared so the to balance, Steve? The yeah. balance, me and Steve, like, although we don't live together, right? We live in Gatwick, he's Gatwick, I'm East London. We're both overweight, exactly the same weight, <laughs> right? Exactly the same weight. We were born as exactly the same weight, even though we'd never, throughout all, all our, like, yes. Do you know what I mean? And so everything, Steve had a little bit more high blood pressure than me. If he was on medication, you know, I wouldn't take tablets. But it wasn't like you need to take them, Steve, or, you know, he would fluctuate up and down. But it was nothing serious, seriously wrong. And genetically, we're the same. Um, we've had chats with consultants, and I have, why this has happened, because you know, genetically we are the same, and there's no answers for nothing. But we've given, we've not given up, I've stopped saying, is it from COVID? Is it from the ventilator? One, it's from COVID because he wouldn't have walked into the hospital with the same symptoms that I had. We caught it from what everyone else was getting yes, COVID at the time. Yes. The first strain, which was powerful. Um, did COVID cause it? I don't know. He caused him to walk into hospital, so he played a part. Did the ventilator play a part? Because we know a lot of people have suffered um, um, brain uh, hemorrhages, um, strokes. Yeah, from um, being on the ventilator. For being on the ventilator for a long time. And most people, How long it has we- been... Sorry to interrupt. How well, long were you on the ventilator? I was on for seven days. But most people who have, what we've been seeing and hearing, have been on two weeks plus. Some people have been on for a couple of months and they've recovered. And he But was the majority, on... Steve was on for three and a half weeks. So, yeah. No one's taking blame. You can't go and investigate to no, do anything to no, do COVID-related. They're not, there's, there's nothing, do you know what I mean? As far as we know for now, but... I haven't, we've stopped putting that energy out there because our energy now is to Steve and, and do you know what I mean? There was one thing I wanted to ask you when you were talking about your experience. Mm-hmm. You were in a coma, mm-hmm. an induced coma. Yeah. Now, I've always been very intrigued by this. What did you feel when you were in the coma? Did you experience anything? Yeah, well, I had um, a beautiful experience, a spiritual experience. When I was um, in a coma, I'm not sure what time it was, what day it was out of the seven days, but I found myself in, in a room half the size of this, fully white room, white ceilings, floors, uh, walls. I'm sitting there, um, I'm looking around, and I'm sitting with my hands <laughs> on my knees, and it felt like there was, I was at the back, so I was at the, my chair was at the back, my back was at the wall. And I looked down and there were squares like a disco floor, but not flashing, right? Just white, everything was white. And I'm sitting there and then this woman's voice in this air says, Robert, which is my real name, it's 12 o'clock now, by one o'clock you have to get into that middle square, otherwise it's not going to be good. Then a man's voice said it in this air. And then they kept repeating it five or ten times. And then she said, right, it's 12 o'clock now, we're going going to come back at one o'clock and you have to be in that middle square. Now, I was aware, even though I'm in, I'm in, I was aware that I was, in, I was in a coma. I was aware of everything that was happening to me there. And I was thinking, what is this? I was so aware. It was, it was, it was looking back at it, it was, it was powerful. So powerful, right? I was aware of that and I was fearful, but I wasn't fearful of death. Or I was fearful of the fact that I knew I was so sick. I ain't getting out of that chair. I knew I weren't getting out of that chair. In my mind, I was thinking, that's all it was. I ain't getting out of that chair. It's not like, what's going to happen to me? There was no fear of what was to come. No it was just fear like, of death. 
lady No, said. it was just that I couldn't get out of this chair. I knew I was so sick, I couldn't get out of this chair. Anyway, our father, this is 2020, right? The year 2020. Our dad died, he passed in the year before, 2019. So straight away now, I'm not in this white room no more. I'm speaking to my dad. I've called for my dad. I said, Dad, you've got... And again, I'm a, a real, I know my dad's gone. I said, Dad, you've got to help me. I can't do this no more. And I was swearing. I said, Look, I can't do this no more. Don't know what came to the hospital in the first place. The, the, you know I love my wife. I've been with my wife for 40 years. Married for 24. I said, you know I love my wife. Um, and I love my kids. We've got three adult kids. Now, I, I say about the years and about love my wife and that because of what I'm going to say afterwards, right? It showed me that it doesn't matter about time, about the love thing. So I said, Dad, you've got to do this. I can't do this no more. And then I said, take me with you. I don't want to be here no more. Take me with you, Dad, please. Take, and I, again, the weirdness of knowing Dad's not here. And my dad was with me. I didn't see him. I didn't need to see him. Until you in that moment, mm. he was with me. And it, it was so present. beautiful. It, it was present. just honestly. And then, anyway, so they... Second day, the two days after was when they took me out of the coma. I had enough energy and I was strong enough for them. They said, right, we're going to take you out. Um, we're going to put you in the chair today. There was four people in the room, two doctors and two assistants. They lifted me out of the bed and they put me in a chair. So as soon as I, my bum hit the chair like this, I just had this powerful feeling. It was so beautiful, right? I'm holding myself like this. I'm crying with a smile on my face, and I'm going, oh my God, oh my God. And the doctors are going, what's the matter? Because they're thinking, what's... And I'm saying, everything's okay. And I just, this feeling was just on me, and it was so fucking powerful and beautiful. If I could have that every morning <laughs> of my life. And all I was saying was love. Everything that was coming to my head was love. Oh my God, I've got to love more. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. Thinking of my wife and my kids. And it wasn't about, oh my God, I'm back in the room. I'm back at Earth. I'm back in... It wasn't about that. This feeling was just so powerful. Right. And again, I talk about going back and I said about I've been wife for 40 years and that it might be he's a cliche. People say there's a greater love. I'm here to testify that there is a great love because that feeling that I had was even now it's going to make me get emotional saying it. It was so beautiful and powerful. And there is a greater love. And I know looking back. Did you believe that before you went into Well, I that thought induced... I knew about love. I know that people say the world's greater love. Like I said, I've been my wife for 40 years. And a lot of my friends, man, how do you do that? Da, 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 da. So, you know, you think this is love, right? Not saying it's not love, but this is it. Well, it's not it. Because until, do you know what I mean? What I experienced has just showed me that there is a greater love. And I had this feeling of just love, love, love. And it's just changed me totally. Now, this is before Steve was admitted. So you didn't know anything about Steve at no, this point? No, I knew just... Steve was sick because yeah, we both yeah. were sick at the same time. But Steve hadn't been admitted to hospital yet. Right, right. So I'm thinking I've got to change my life. I've got this, because I'm still in ICU. I'm still in like, intensive care. So it's only when I got out, and then a few weeks, when this happened to Steve, obviously it was devastating. How am I, you know, I don't know life without Steve, when I heard of Steve's diagnosis. And then I sat down and I just, because I always reflect on my life and what stuff and everything else. And I thought, look at that. Everything was me, because firstly, why me and Steve, two twins, no one else had COVID as, as bad as we had it for a long time. Why did we both have to get it? Why did we both have to get it like, and be in comas? Why did Steve have to end up like this? And then why did the spirit, thing, the spirit um, room happen to me, going to that, to that realm? Um, well, I know why, because I'm, I'm, I'm answering my own question, but it was, I believe and know it was to prepare me 
lift me up, make me stronger, make me sit here, even though I've got a little bit emotional there, but I'm feeling emotional for the beauty for that love, to deal with what's going on. And I know it was to prepare me for what was to come for Steve, right? And, and other stuff. And I've just been so lifted. And I looked at life through, through I thought through a lovely lens before because, you know, we've been blessed. We've had a great life. Things are up and down, but majority, you know, we've, we've done all right. We've done well. Um, good loving people. But since that's happened to me, the energy around me, I just feel everything more and it just, you know. So and what are you going to do with it? I mean, it sounds like you've, well, what this I, is a well, massive change. Well, yeah, but that's why, again, with Steve, because of Steve's diagnosis, diagnosis, they say not a lot of people come back from this. If they do, they don't know what level. But I know that something's going to happen to Steve, right? On what level, him coming back, singing and dancing, I don't know. But he can't communicate. Steve's been fed with a peg. Steve can't move his body. Right? He can't do nothing. He opens his eyes, he says, wake up, sleep, pan. There's no communication. He's in a prolonged disorder of consciousness. Tell me, what are the doctors telling you? Are they giving you any, are they saying, are they giving you any signs of hope? Or are they, are they, I mean, without putting words in their mouth, are they saying, this is it, really? 50-50. I'd say it's been 50-50 all the way. Um, because... They don't really know how to deal with, forget COVID, it's what they see on the screen, the inflammation that's been done to Steve's brain, right? Um, and what the functions are. Because we believe that Steve can hear us, like trapped in your body syndrome, mm. but he just can't do nothing. His brain's not functioning to respond to anything. Do you know what I mean? But we've seen little flickers along the way because we visit him for three, four hours at a mm. time sometimes. So we're spending a lot of time with him. But through that diagnosis and from what they can see on, on the scans, um, no, but you don't get a lot of scans along the way anyway. Now it's a, t it's a point of if he declines, need to do a scan. If he improves, we need to do a scan. But this one lady, so where he's in a great place in Hazelmere, right? A great neurological home. Um, but since joining the Encephalitis Society, they have a connections thing on there. So like I said, there's all different levels of encephalitis and you can link, they could link me and you up so we can exchange notes, or our loved one might have it, just so we yes. can exchange notes to see how we're doing it, how we're dealing with it, if there's any medicine or things to try. So they said, we're gonna find somewhere. You took them three months to find somewhere. And this um, lady's son was in India, in Mumbai. So we connected, I did chat and everything else. And I wished her happy Christmas, 2021, just gone as, hi, been happy Christmas. And she said, I said, how's your son doing? He's improving, he's got a long way to go, but he is improving. And he said, have you heard of um, hyperbaric oxygen? She said that, and I said, no. She said, HBOT, she goes, look into it, because I believe it will help Steve da, 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 for the brain inflammation, etc. And you, you know, it helps your cells. So that's been my journey from January the 2nd to now. We had a meeting with Steve's consultant, um, because again, once you're in this, this, this bubble of neurological thing and the level that Steve's got, they're doing things for Steve. You think, oh, he's great, great, great. But he took for beat this lady in India to tell me about that and through my research speaking to one of the best consultants in LA and one of the best guys over here Robert Pender he brought it to London Harley Street for five years ago what they said to me is what are they doing for Steve he's in a great place this is my answer he's getting hydrotherapy he's getting physical therapy and he goes to the sensory room which he can't really make any sense of it at the moment and they said no what are they doing for Steve's brain yeah. And that's just when the penny hit. Even though I think we're clued up people, me and these watch, it's like, what are they doing for the brain? And it was that, and it was, this is going to them. And it's like, so he's in a great place. 
So then I, we had a meeting with him a few weeks ago because I want to introduce the hyperbaric oxygen for Steve. We are going to, by hook or by crook, because give it a chance. Right? We're funding it, it's not, it's not cheap. We're not asking the government on how to fund it, we're doing it ourselves. So we had a meeting with them. So the diagnosis is, in a way I said to him, look, I'm not hating on you guys, it's great. But in a way for us, it feels like Steve's just being left in the corner because what are you doing for the brain? Yes, I get it. Half a percent, not one five percent of improvement. We will do anything. So that's where we're at. So we're taking on our own thing now. You do what you have to do because it's all—it's not their fault. It's just the government and the health for it. That's how it is. There's rules and what you can bring to the table, what they can do. Do you believe Steve's going to come out of this? One million percent. Like I said, he's going to be singing and dancing. I don't know. That's what we love. But I know something will—something will come. The universe, the Lord is going to bless him with something. And what gives you your? hope what gives me my hope i mean for what happened to me going into that spiritual side right knowing it but then being there and feeling it and i've spoken to spiritual healers after i've had a spiritual healer we've had a spiritual healer working on steve for seven months he hasn't done it for a few months now but and they said there was your spirit guards we've all got spirit guards the two people talking to me and he said you're what happened to you it doesn't happen to a lot of people for you to remember this and that happened for a reason and the reasons is because something will happen with Steve. Something will improve with Steve. Doctors are not like, yeah, they were saying mm, whatever, but we're not really listening to them no more. It's not like we don't really know what you've got yeah, to say. Yeah, no, okay. We've got full of, we're full of hope. We've been hopeful people before COVID and we're super hopeful now. And your message, because you've got quite a clear message here, Bobby, you mm -hmm. know, amazing life, great relationship with your brother. Your brother's in a devastating what looks like a devastating yeah. situation yeah and yet you're sitting here full of positivity and beaming not you're not sitting here and crying yeah what message do you really want to get out there to the public what what message do you believe you're now in, in terms of, of steve and everything yeah. well it's, it's a message of hope and a message of love with my experience what i went through 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 that um through in, in the white room and everything else and having that feeling when i came back i never once thought oh my god i'm glad i'm alive it wasn't about that. It was about something else. Do you know, I didn't even think about, oh, no. Um, and that's why I just know when I'm with Steve, there's the energy between us that happens sometimes. It's like, and I look at him and he gets his fire and I think, you're going to be okay. So just to tell you a quick story, um, Steve doesn't really move. He doesn't, he doesn't move his body, right? So there's a few things why I've come with, I've come to the, I can sit here with this, this, this levels of hope because before Steve was discharged, three months of the first time Steve was in hospital when he got diagnosed, Julie's on one side of the bed and I'm on the other side. Steve's sitting straight in the middle, up right in the, in the bed, and his eyes are just looking straight, well, either side. And his wife Julie was saying, um, Steve, come on, just look at me, you can do it. Look at me, look at me, and then look at Bobby. And I encouraged it. We both started saying that. Ten minutes later, he went, he must have gone, oh, fuck's out doing it. Because he went, he went, and that was it. And I was in a devastation, uh, devastating um, mind thought before that happened. And when he'd done that, I just thought, you're going to be okay. You're going to be fine. That was the massive turning point for me. Because most nights I'd be devastated. It just, and it just lifted me. Our mother passed away on October the 3rd. The, Steve has home visits now, right? Um, where he, he had his first home visit last June. He can go home for four hours, three, four hours. So the first home visit, our mum was sitting by the side of Steve. Steve was in his wheelchair. And we're all the other side of the room having a laugh because it was a good uplifting vibe at the house. And mum goes, oh my God, oh my God. And we turned around before something was wrong. 
something wasn't wrong, something was all right. Steve had turned his head and he was staring at my mum. That doesn't happen, right? So we know Steve can hear us. We know, you know, he's just, there's a lot of other things I want to get too much of with meds that can make you drowsy and he's on mm -hmm. a lot of meds at the moment and we're looking to get them reduced because it makes you very drowsy. Da, 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 da. So there's a lot of things like that, but there's, there, there, I'm just giving you a couple of, of hopeful, you know, stories there that just boosts us up as well. But What do you really want to say to Steve? Um, what I'd like to say really to Steve is what I've always been saying to him. I was, I was visiting him yesterday, I was, I was with him yesterday. It's just that keep going because I know Steve is in the same way I was went to a to a, a spirit spiritual side. I know Steve must be going through stuff like that, and just to keep his inner strength strong. So we always tell him keep keep strong, Steve. You know, stay strong. We're all praying for you. Everyone's sending all the love from around the world with all the energy. Um, we've got you. You just keep doing what you're doing in your inside, and we've, we're we're looking after things outside, and we ain't gonna stop. I ain't gonna stop. If the public wants to help, how can they, Bobby? Where can they get hold of you um, or help in any way? Well, we've got a GoFundMe page because what we've done, that miss what I just said about my mum turning her head with Steve's first home visit was just an example. That was the, that was the pinnacle moment for us to say, Steve needs to be surrounded by family with love. Well, it sounds like you've got such right. a loving family. Yeah. And, you know, I'm a great believer in vibration levels and being mm -hmm. surrounded either by positivity is going to lift Definitely. you. So if he's with his family, yeah. place of love, right? Yeah, and that's what's happening. So that visit then, we just thought, we need to get Steve home. Steve needs to be surrounded by love and needs to this and that. So we, we um, started a GoFundMe page and we also done a benefit dance, uh, fundraising dance last October. Um, so people can donate because um, we're having the house renovated. The plans have just gone in now. So we're getting the house extension done. Um, wet room, da 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 da, da and stuff. So, so basically, he'd be able to have the presumably the bed or whatever. Yeah, everything. In yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, hooked up to monitors. Yeah, it's all going for the right channel. Well, the thing about it is, um, so he's not actually. So Steve's clinical needs is not that he's not. Steve's been fed with a pig and he's got some tablets taken, but he's not in any. He's not. not he's not life threatening situation or nothing. Yes. Do you know what I mean? So, we want Steve to come on weekends first, just slowly. Um, so that's what we're going to do. So there's a GoFundMe page. Um, it's called Steve's um, brain injury, COVID brain injury story. If they can go on that, right. or they can and check out. And I'll put the link. I'll put yeah. the link all in the show notes. Mm -hmm. So, with all this newfound insight, mm -hmm. what's the future for you, Bobby? Well, the future for me, because you know, for those who know us, if those don't know us, we do some research. We've been DJing and doing our thing for a long time, and when this, my other half was was disconnected, Steve. I thought, well, okay, this is time to change. But now I've jumped back into the arena. Um, I'm keeping our passion alive. I was taking therapy and I had a great therapist who gave me some amazing tools to use. And she knew that I didn't want to do it no more. And she said to me, but Bobby, every time you talk about Steve and you talk about music, it was on, it was on a Zoom, right? She said, you're, you smile and you're like, you're, you, just, you, you, you just break up. She goes, don't kill your passion. It's your, part of your DNA. And I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. So we're back in the arena now. We're doing promotions again. You know, we do a brand called Groove Odyssey. I'm, I'm back out of there doing stuff and, yeah. Bobby, I love your positivity and mm. I can feel the love. If there was one thing that you could say to anybody that's going through a similar situation mm -hmm. or, or going through that trauma. Yeah. Is there anything that you could say to them? It's, it's anyone going through trauma now. It's not an easy, it's not an easy road to be on, right? But you have to pick yourself up. 
Do you know what I mean? We've all got the strength to do things internally and spiritually. I love Just that. stay strong, man. It's like, you know what I mean? You're going to have your moments. I have my moments, but I know, like I said, sitting there and, and giving some energy, I'm good, man. And the energy's... I haven't gone to the shop and afford to buy, buy this energy. It's free, but you have to put your mindset to it, right? I think that's an amazing note to end on, mm. Bobby. I can feel your energy. Thank you so much for being a beautiful Thank guest you. on my show. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed the show. Remember, there's a new interview out every Monday. So hit subscribe and like, and you'll get it straight into your inbox.